0: Lord, we ask that you would open our ears so that we may hear your voice. Open our minds so that we may receive your eternal wisdom. Open our spirits so that we may know your leading and guidance. And open our hearts so that we may receive your wonderful love. Amen. Scripture reading this morning is from James 5, verses 13 through 18. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray, is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well, the Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Alison. We are uh, we're on the home stretch. We've been actually we started over a year and a half ago considering uh, the New Testament letter of James. We've taken a lot of breaks in there, but we are in our last couple of weeks thinking about uh, the letter that James wrote. We think James was Jesus's brother, and he wrote this letter to early, early, early Christians who started asking, "What does it look like to grow in my faith? What does it look like to grow in my faith? To not just have this kind of stagnant." faith, but to always be growing, to be vibrant, to be changing, to be maturing. What does it look like? In other words, uh, how can my soul, how do I nurture my soul to be more like a a river or an ocean? You know, like a river, um, some philosopher, somebody said, you know, a river is, is always the same and yet always changing. It's always new. It's always fresh. What does it look like for my soul to look more like that river that is always being refreshed? than it does to look like some stagnant pond that's just got you know some scum and algae on the top. And, right? why, why, do, why do those things grow on the pond? Because it's not moving. It's not changing. It's not being fed. It's not growing. James is asking, what does it look like to always be growing as a Christian in my walk of faith? And this is great because it, it helps if, if you've been a Christian for 80 years or if you've been a Christian for like eight days... Right? There is always room for growth, and so it's really relevant to all of us. And in James's last section, we're going to cover this set of verses over the next two weeks. We're going to take our time with it. James says this is his concluding, kind of his last. Um, you know, the one thing I want to leave you with is this: What does it look like to always grow? Pray. Pray. You almost expect something that sounds more innovative or more novel or more, but it's in, in fact it's very simple. He says. Just pray. Just keep praying. A faith that is constantly growing is constantly praying. Now, this comes on the heels. If you'll remember last week, he was really addressing how do I deal with really difficult times of suffering, especially times of injustice in my life? And he said, Be patient and persevere. Be patient and persevere. Don't take matters into your own hands too quickly. In a sense, this section is, is, among other things, an answer to the last. How do I be patient? How do I persevere? Well, James says you can pray. You can pray. Now, some of you are probably thinking, wait a minute, if something's really going wrong in my life, what good is prayer going to do? That doesn't, that doesn't do anything. That doesn't actually accomplish That doesn't fix my problem. It's not really practical, right? Prayer doesn't get anything done. To which I would, I would just ask, have you tried? Have you, see, very, very often the people, the very same people who say, well, prayer doesn't get anything done are the people who don't pray. <laughs> so, so have you tried? Like at the very least. This isn't easy, I know, and we're gonna, this is part of why we're gonna spend two weeks considering this. In fact, it takes a lifetime to learn how to pray. And this is something you never master but it is something we can always grow in. One of the reasons I know that is because maybe one of the things I hear most uh, is people expressing when we're talking about their spiritual lives is they say something like, you know, I really wish I prayed more. I wonder if any of you feel that way. Man, I I really wish I prayed more. And a lot of times there's some guilt behind it. People are thinking, I really should pray more, and I'm not. I'm just not really measuring up. Um, just, just yesterday, this was so perfect. So just, I, uh, I recently got a copy of the memoirs of the very first pastor that this church called to be their pastor, a man named Baron Stowe. And did, would you, wouldn't you believe, on July 24th, 1827, Baron Stowe, this church's first settled pastor, wrote in his journal about how he wished he prayed more. Doesn't that make you feel a little bit better? This is Universal. Every, probably every Christian wishes they prayed more, which is to say that the answer is not an easy answer, and there's not a quick fix or a silver bullet. This, this is a process of growth that takes a lifetime. Now, next week, we're going to address some of the more specific and thorny questions about prayer. If you were really listening as, as Allison read, you probably, um, probably some questions surfaced in your mind, some Some, honestly, really good, almost contradictory questions about prayer. We're going to deal with those more next week. This week, as kind of a way of of clearing some brush for next week, I want to gently nudge us toward what we might call a broader understanding of prayer. A broader understanding of prayer. And the phrase that I find helpful is to think of prayer as a posture. Prayer as a posture. You see, most of the time, so when somebody says, and maybe you think this too, when somebody says, I really wish I prayed more, they're probably thinking about prayer as like an activity, right? Something you do. You set aside time, and you get up, and you you pray. So you carve out some time from your busy life, and if you're super spiritual, you wake up before the sun has even risen and it's dark, and maybe you have a cup of coffee and you're trying not to fall asleep and you're hoping you don't get interrupted by your kids or you're hoping your phone doesn't buzz or ding and distract you and you sit down and you bow your head, right? Anybody been, you try to do this and you, f- you close your eyes and you fold your hands and you speak, and you speak, like you start using weird language that you don't use any other time in your life and you're trying to talk to God but you're trying to talk to a God using language you don't understand and you're talking to a God you can't see and he doesn't talk back to you and then you wonder, like, why is this so hard, Well, no wonder it's hard. If all we think about is prayer as that kind of rigid activity that's so divorced from the rest of life, no wonder we find prayer so difficult. The activity of prayer, that kind of setting aside, is a a shock to our system. It's, in some ways, it's a rebellion against the always on, always going, always getting something done, always accomplishing something culture that we live in. Now, let me say, there is a necessary place, and we're gonna talk more about this next week, so we'll just put pause on the idea. There's a necessary place for prayer as an activity, as that carving out time and sitting down and bowing your head and folding your, you don't have to do those things, but setting aside time to, to pray and to do nothing else. That is is a valuable and necessary activity in our growth as Christians. In fact, Scripture says that Jesus would often get up very early in the morning and go off and pray and do nothing else. If we don't set aside specific time to pray, then we're missing out on one of the sweetest gifts that life has to offer us. It's, It's almost like if you never set aside time to sit down and have a good meal, What's going to happen? You're going to starve yourself. And you might think, oh, well, I could. I could. I can just grab, you know, a banana on the go to, before work and, and I can go through the drive-thru. You could. But if, if you only ever eat something on the run or something from the drive-thru, don't be surprised if you find yourself malnourished. There is a place and a very important place for prayer as a set-aside focused activity. And we're going to talk more about that next week. This week, I want to think of the other side. This is kind of a both-and of prayer as a posture, as a posture. What is posture, right? You know, posture, some, some of you have really good posture. Some of you, you all have excellent posture, um, right? It's, but posture says so much about, about just how we, how we carry ourselves communicates something. So if, if somebody, if you're having a conversation with somebody, and their arms are folded, and they're really kind of hunched over, and they'll, they'll never really make eye contact, and they start talking pretty lowly, and they don't, right, what does that communicate? You're, they're sending all of these vibes that I don't really want to be here right now for whatever reason, and we read into that because body language matters. On the other hand, if somebody, you know, stands or sits up straight, and they're even, they torso like they're just open, and they make eye contact and they're relaxed and they smile easily. Now, now they're engaged and you're engaged and that changes the whole interaction. What does it look like for prayer to think of prayer as a posture towards God? Not necessarily, you know, just because, we, and, I, and if I'm doing it, it's because I absolutely have to and God is gonna be mad at me if I don't pray enough and so I, or like, yes, Lord, like, let's speak to me. Let's be present together. What does it look like for prayer to be a natural posture of our lives? In other words, I don't think, I don't think James, when he says, I mean, and and we're really keying in mostly on the first verse here, and we'll cover the rest next week, but verse 13, is anyone of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Are you sick? You should pray. Do you need to confess? You should pray. Like, pray, 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 in all seasons, pray. I don't think James is is saying that to guilt you into spending more minutes per day in in the activity of prayer. I think, among other things, he's challenging you to consider, what does it look like for me to live a lifestyle of prayer and not just pray in these discrete, set-apart intervals of my life? What does it look like for prayer to be a posture and a lifestyle and not just some, some other activity that has very little bearing on the rest of my life. So I see um, one of the reasons I've been learning, I've been thinking and learning more about this, I see the, a spiritual director. My spiritual director's name is John, and John will tell you his job is to help me to listen for God. That's kind of a cool that's kind of a cool job. Um, and John is, uh, so I've been seeing him for probably a couple of years now. Early on in, in my time with John, when I started meeting with John, I was describing my own struggles to pray. I sh- should pray more, and I wish I, you know, the same thing that we all think. And John challenged me, and I'm realizing, he he started challenging me to see prayer as more of a posture, and here's how, he, he didn't use that language, but here's how he did it. We started uh, meeting together a couple of years ago in the winter, and he asked me, just very casually, he said, well, Chris, what do you like to do? And I thought, well, what does that have to do with prayer? And he said, well, no, what do you like to do? And it was winter, and I like to ski, and our family likes to ski together, and so I said, well, I like to ski. And he kind of smiled, and he sat back, and he said, Chris, what, what if, while you're sitting on the chairlift, you know, going up the mountain, what if Jesus were sitting in the chair right next to you? And what if you imagined Jesus sitting in that chair right next to you? What If you were to have a conversation, how would that go? I was really resistant to that idea when he suggested it because that, like, that's weird and it's kind of flighty and, and a little more new agey than I'm really comfortable with. And come on, Give me something I can hold on to, John. But over time, I started to realize what he was doing. That John was challenging me to think of prayer as a posture that, that the presence of God and a relationship with Jesus can be a part of every single moment in life, even when I'm sitting in a chairlift, at the time it was alone because of COVID and only one person was allowed on a chair at a time, going up that mountain and like, noticing the sting of the cold. He said, if you notice the sting of the cold on your nostrils and you notice just the crisp, like, unpolluted air that you're breathing in, if you realize all of that is a gift from God and you start just responding however your heart leads, that doesn't mean you have to have an out loud conversation with Jesus on the chair right next to you. You could. It would be a little weird if there's somebody else sitting in the chairlift next to you, but that's, you know. What does it look like if every moment you're aware of God's presence And your response, whether that's talking to God or it's just responding in a certain way, what does that look like? There's a great pastor, Eugene Peterson, who died a couple years ago. He's one of my pastoral role models. He served a little church in uh, Bel Air, Maryland, of all places. And he wrote at one point, he said, prayer is really little more than paying attention to God. God. Prayer is little more than paying attention to God. Now when you start paying attention to someone, if you're having a conversation, so say you're having a conversation with a really close, trusted friend, if you're truly paying attention to them and listening to them and hearing them, the relationship progresses and the conversation goes in a certain direction. On the other hand, if you're just kind of letting their words fall on deaf ears and you're thinking about something else and not really paying attention, what does that do for the relationship? What does it look like to think of prayer as a posture, a posture of paying attention to God? Which is a dangerous question to ask. Because if you really start listening and you really start paying attention to God, God forbid he should start talking and you should start hearing him. I don't necessarily mean you literally hear the voice of God. Maybe you do. I never have. I think I wish I do, but that kind of makes me nervous too. But, but if you feel a sense in your spirit or a friend has an ex- especially insightful and wise remark or you're reading scripture and some words jump off the page and you realize this is God speaking straight to my heart, what now? If your posture is one of disinterest, it'll skip off the surface like a rock off a smooth pond, sure. But if your posture really is open, then what? Then you realize that that it's not, it's probably not comprehensive enough to think of prayer only as a posture. You have to describe the kind of posture. That prayer is posture, but prayer is also in a sense submission. And you might think of prayer maybe as a posture of submission. Submission's a loaded word in 2022, I know. We don't like to think about submission. There's an old phrase that might help us make a little more sense of it. I love this. I read this pretty recently, like two or three years ago, and I've already forgotten who said it, and I wish I could give them credit but maybe my favorite statement about prayer is this. That prayer is not about bending God's will towards my will, but it's about bending my will towards God's will. Prayer is not about bending God's will towards my will, but it's about bending my will towards God's will. So think back to the person who says, maybe this is you, but think back to the person who said, well, prayer doesn't work. It's not practical. It doesn't accomplish anything. What's behind that sentiment? Most likely, what's behind that sentiment is an understanding of prayer that is not submissive, but maybe more demanding. There's a misunderstanding of the nature of prayer behind that. In other words, prayer is not the spiritual equivalent of the wish list that your kid writes out for Santa Claus around Christmas time. Right? you know, They write the list, and they, they've sung the songs, They remember, so they know he sees you when you're sleeping, which is creepy. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. How often do we take that uh, language about Santa and apply it to God? And we think, okay, God, you see me when I'm sleeping. You know when I'm awake. You know if I've been bad or good, so I better be good for goodness sake. And if I've been good, then maybe I'll get some of these things on my, on my wish list. And if I've not been good, if I've been naughty, then there's going to be some sort of a spiritual lump of coal in my stocking. So be good and behave, and God will give me what I want. If that's the way you approach prayer, no wonder prayer doesn't work. No wonder prayer doesn't work. If by prayer works, you mean like God does what you want him to do, what you think he should do, then no wonder. But I would also add that if that's your definition of what it means for prayer to work, um, let me press in. You have a boring and uninteresting and unimpressive God. As if, as if your God exists just to carry out what you want. Like who wants a God like that? That's not a God. That's a cosmic butler at best. In fact, if your understanding of prayer is God exists to give me what I ask for, then God's not God. You're God, and he's your servant. God, you didn't do what I wanted. Prayer must not work. What's behind that? It's a, it's a completely wrong understanding of God. If he's really God, think with me here. If he's really God, then what does he know that you don't? And what does he see that you don't see? And what does he understand that you don't understand? You ever, um, you ever really, really wanted something and you didn't get it, and then you know, months or years later you look back and you remember that thing and you go, man, I'm so glad I didn't get that. Like I, just, I didn't have the full picture, and I really wish I had gotten that thing, but I'm just so like, now I realize that that was really not a very good idea. Could it be that God knows all those things? Here's a different way of thinking it. This is a a quote from a pastor, Tim Keller, in Manhattan. Um, He's retired now, but he once said this about how God answers prayers. He says, When we pray, God gives us what we would have asked for if we knew what He knows. God gives us what we would have asked for if we knew what He knows. But we don't have the whole picture. So what if God really knows? Are, are we willing to submit to a God who knows better than we do? One of the ways I've learned this most powerfully and seen this most powerfully is, is um, a couple years ago. So I was talking with one of my dear friends, Andrew. And Andrew was telling me about a conversation he had had with his dad. So his dad was telling me um, about just some recent stuff going on in his family. His mom had started to develop Alzheimer's. And his dad, a man named John, John Holbrook, uh, told his son, Andrew, he said, Andrew, you know, for years, for the past few years, I had been praying that God would help me to love your mom better, that he would teach me to love your mother better. And he gave her Alzheimer's. Now, did God answer John Holbrook's prayer? John would tell you after about four years later, he died a year and a half ago, but before he died, he would have told you, you know what? I have learned to love and serve my wife better in these past four years than ever before. And for four years, John Holbrook laid down his life, gave up so much freedom and time and energy to love and care for his wife. through Lynn Holbrook's Alzheimer's, God answered John Holbrook's prayer. At least that's how John saw it. You see? If prayer is about bending God's will towards ours, God giving us what we want, then no, God did not answer John's prayer. And God is cruel and, and vindictive. And, and... But if prayer is about bending our will towards God's, then we start to see that, that maybe God knows and we don't. At least that's how John saw it. And as John was telling my friend Andrew about this and as Andrew was relaying the story to me, he said, my, my dad said there was no better answer to that prayer. Help me to love my wife better. Is, is prayer about us just asking God for what we want? Because if I were in charge, this is how things would run. Or is it about forming us more and more into Christ-like men and women? Is it about bending God's will towards ours or about bending our will towards God's? We pray every single Sunday morning. We prayed it just this morning, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. My kingdom come, my will be done, right? On earth as it is in heaven. No. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Not my kingdom thy kingdom, not my will, thy will. Now there are a lot of questions I know and they're very good questions, especially about unanswered prayer and we're gonna think about those more next week. But, but as, we, as we start to move on, let me, let me just invite you to consider as we think about suffering and unanswered prayer, consider Jesus for just a moment. We know from early in his ministry, the gospel writers tell us that Jesus would rise very early in the morning and he would go and pray. There's also one very striking moment in the gospels that Jesus prayed the day before he died, the night before he died, where he set aside time and he went to a garden called Gethsemane and he prayed and he said, Father, if there is any other way, let this cup pass from me. Now Jesus knew the very next day he was going to be murdered. He knew exactly what was coming, and he prayed, and he poured out his soul very honestly to God, said, God, if there's any other way, like, please, you're God, right? Can, can you figure this one out? Let this cup pass from me. But you remember how he ends the prayer, right? Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. God, I really don't want to do this. I'm not looking forward to this. Jesus understood the, the, just the incomprehensible pain that was about to visit him the next day, And he could be honest with God about that and say, "Like this is not my idea of how things should go. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Through prayer, God forms us into the type of men and women who can say, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. We know that life doesn't always go the way we want. And we know that we suffer and we know there are difficulties in life and there is injustice in life. But through prayer, God teaches us to be the types of women and men who can look to God and say, if there's any other, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Why? Because as much as as that hurt Christ, the author of Hebrews said, for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross, suffering, uh, scorning its shame. That the, the deepest pain that Jesus could possibly experience resulted in the most robust life that could possibly happen again. We tend to see Good Friday. We see death and we see crucifixion and we see pain. God sees Easter Sunday. God sees resurrection and new life and he knows where he's bringing us. What does it look like for prayer to become a posture where we learn more and more to say along with Jesus, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Pray with me if you would. Lord, teach us to pray. Give us the discipline to set aside more time for prayer, but teach us also in every part of our lives to adopt a posture that says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.